Back in 2015, the Seahawks were red hot going into the postseason, but they were ousted in the divisional round by the Carolina Panthers. Might things have played out a bit differently if they had their rising young rookie back who got injured late in the season? We're going to revisit on What If Wednesday for our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, 12s? This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to be continuing our 90-player countdown numbers, 75 through 71, getting closer to the halfway point. And then we're going to kick off our annual What If Wednesday. We do this during the midst of the offseason when there's nothing going on. And we go back and revisit a certain topic in Seahawks history and wonder what might have happened if things played out a bit differently. We're going to be doing that in 2015 with an injured player that might have changed Seattle's fortunes in the postseason that year. This episode is brought your way by Blue Nile. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code LOCKEDON at checkout. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Over the past decade, Pete Carroll has led the Seahawks to eight playoff appearances, four NFC West titles, two Super Bowls, and one Lombardi Trophy. He's widely considered by most to be one of the best coaches in the NFL, and yet coming off of a disappointing 7-10 and 10 season without Russell Wilson, without Bobby Wagner, expectations extremely low for this franchise heading into the 2022 season. Rob, I guess it shouldn't be surprising that our friends over at Bet Online have Pete Carroll among the top coaches most likely to be fired or resign at some point in the 2022 season or afterward. Yeah, well, I, I am a little bit surprised um, for Pete Carroll to be listed very high on such a list because of all the different reasons that you just uh, mentioned, Corbin. Of course, I mean, just an incredibly uh, successful head coach, currently fourth in the NFL among active head coaches in terms of wins. So while we're looking at this list, uh, for those that are YouTube listeners and watchers, uh, they can see that list by, by Bet Online. Carolina's Matt Rule is the, the betting favorite to be the first NFL coach to be fired or to resign next season at plus 300. Mike McCarthy uh, at plus 500. Pete Carroll at plus 600. Frank Reich plus 700. Ron Rivera at plus 800. So there's your top five. I, I just have a hard time putting Pete Carroll in that top five. Um, as you mentioned, Corbin, uh, you know, the fact that he doesn't have Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner on the Seahawks roster this year, I think the expectations are pretty low. Um, and so because those expectations are low, if the Seahawks do struggle this season, then I don't know that you can necessarily blame that on Pete Carroll and, and say that this was a, a disappointing season. They had such lofty expectations 
that's kind of the opposite of, of the case. Um, I, I think that anything that Seattle is able to do this season um, in terms of if they're around 500 or certainly competing for a playoff spot, that's just going to make his Hall of Fame credentials that much higher. They, frankly, that's the list that I, I think that uh, that Bet Online should be posting right now and kind of having a conversation with Pete Carroll being in the top three because that's how lofty I put uh, Pete Carroll in, in terms of head coaches in the NFL. Again, I, I certainly understand why Seattle might be listed among the teams that might have the poorest records this upcoming season. But to suggest that Pete Carroll could get fired, I think is kind of crazy. Uh, in my opinion. Um, and I would say this though, bet online there, they are sneaky. Uh, they, they put in that, that note about possibly resigning. And if things do start to go poorly, it's obviously a Pete Carroll at his age uh, with the, whatever health concerns may pop up. If he just might just say, you know what, I just, I'm sick of this. I just want to wash my hands of it and be done with it. I think that's a possibility. I think that he could decide to resign. But I've said this before, Corbin, and I'll say it again. I think that Pete Carroll has basically already demonstrated what he means to the Seahawks in terms of what he is right now and what he's done in the past. And I think that he can write his own ticket. I, I have a hard time imagining a scenario in which there is something that happens in which the Seahawks feel compelled that they have to fire Pete Carroll. I think that he already deserves to be very, very much up there in the rafters, and she, he shouldn't have to worry about this kind of talk about being fired on the hot seat before. Before the season even begins. And I like that you mentioned that bet online that our friends over there are pretty sneaky because they made sure to not just include being fired because I agree with you. The chances of that happening are extremely slim. I mean, this next season, everything would just have to unravel and Pete Carroll would have to lose the trust, the confidence of his players, which I can tell you that has not happened even coming after last season. The way guys played at the end of the year tells you all you need to know. This team was out of the playoff hunt, and they were still playing hard, battling to win football games late in the season, and they won their last two games as a result. So players don't quit on Pete Carroll. If that happens this year, they start really slow, and then you see players just kind of give in. That is a sign, you know, maybe Jody Allen will take that then, hey, we do need to make a move. But I would think you're not signing off on trading your franchise quarterback and keeping your head coach if your intention is one year later to turn around and fire him. I can't see you pulling that stunt with a lame duck coach that's 70 years old and, oh, by the way, has eight playoff appearances in the last 10 years. I just can't see it. And you've got this reloaded roster, all these young players that you brought in, in part because of the picks you got for Russell Wilson. You would like to see Pete Carroll be able to see this through more than just one year and see what he and his staff can do with this young group of players, in particular having a top 10 pick in Charles Cross. And I just think the amount of talent that's still in this roster away from the quarterback position as well, there's some faith that this team can be competitive. But again, as you mentioned, the expectations, I think the front office understands that. I, I think that he bought himself extra time as if he really needed it, bought himself more security with Russell Wilson being traded, with this being a roster that that is in turnover. To me, that's the big X factor here. But this season would have to absolutely implode for Pete Carroll to get fired by the Seahawks. And I think even then, because of everything he's done for this franchise, the winningest coach in franchise history, I can't see them doing that. Maybe you have a mutual parting of ways at the end of the season. Maybe Pete Carroll does resign. I think that the reason I would put him fairly high on this list would be for that scenario. I just can't see the firing. And I think when you look at the rest of the list, Rob, 
there are a few names below him that I personally think should be much higher. And you got to start in the NFC West. You want to talk about a coach that's on the hot seat, in my opinion, Cliff Kingsbury. And I know that he just signed an extension. I know the Cardinals made the playoffs last year, but we're now talking two years in a row that this team has started off super hot. And then the second half, they've just fallen apart and they carried it into the playoffs last year, getting blown out by the Rams. I think at plus 1200, uh, he should be much higher on this list. I think Kevin Stefanski with what's going on in Cleveland with the trade they made for Deshaun Watson, if Watson can play, obviously, uh, but there are a lot of things there that are su- suggesting that the Browns should be a contender in the AFC. And if they fall flat, that's going to come back on Kevin Stefanski. And I think you look even further down in the list, somebody like Nick Sirianni, he led the Eagles to the playoffs his first year as head coach. So he should have some cushion, but this is Philadelphia that we're talking about. And if you go out and you win four or five games and they disappoint and don't live up to expectations, uh, the Eagles have shown that they will give a coach a quick hook. So I think there are a number of coaches that are lower on this list that I think have a better shot of being fired after this season than Pete Carroll. But I think when you add the resigning part to it, or if it was just retiring, obviously at his age, I think Pete Carroll would make some sense. He'd be higher on the list. Firing him, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. Um, I, that's why I think that Mike McCarthy, the Dallas Cowboys, being the second player or second person on this list, I think that makes some sense because there's all kinds of expectations in Dallas. I mean, this is basically a kind of a Super Bowl or bust mode for the Dallas Cowboys and, and Jerry Jones with an aging quarterback in Dak Prescott. Um, you know, aging roster, frankly, with Tyron Smith and Zeke Elliott, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I could absolutely understand why his name is higher than Carroll's. Um, you, you mentioned Cliff Kingsbury. I'll, I'll do one another one in, in the NFC West, and that being Kyle Shanahan. Now, I'm as big of a Kyle Shanahan uh, fan as there is probably out there. I think that he's a terrific coach. But at the same time, if he and John Lynch decide to part ways with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance uh, for all of his talent, if he does not come in and be successful in the NFL um, and, and the, the 49ers, right after a you know very close to a Super Bowl run, if they make that type of t- decision, then it would be every bit as controversial as the decision that John Schneider and Pete Carroll made to cut ties with Russell Wilson. So I think that he should be a little bit higher on that list. I, With all due respect to the folks at Bet Online, they do great work. At the same time, I would be stunned um, if, if Pete Carroll winds up either being fired as we talked about that that to me would just be a shocker um but even the idea of him resigning i have to believe that he convinced both john schneider and miss jolie allen um you know that that he is in it for the long haul and as you said corbin why would the seahawks have traded away russell wilson if they didn't believe that Pete carroll was in it for the long haul so i think that his position here is number three on the list of coaches to be fired or resigned by the end of the 2022 season is pretty laughable yeah i think this is a damn good football coach that we're talking about and he's not perfect there are certainly flaws every coach in the nfl has flaws. Pete Carroll's got some and they've come back to bite the Seahawks at times, but I think he has earned this opportunity with his resume, what he's done in Seattle to get at least a couple years to see if he can get this ship righted. Maybe this year they're more competitive than expected, but he's earned that right. And with some of the moves they've made again, I think that he's bought extra time here to be able to develop some of these young players and see if he can get the Seahawks back into contention. Coming up next, we're going to continue our 90 player countdown with numbers 75 
through 71. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawk podcast. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the part on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more of the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and they've got reliably low prices for every customer. They have everything you could need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co host and crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. One live NBA draft show is not enough for Locked On. The entire NBA channel is going live on NBA Draft Night. So if you have a favorite NBA team, make sure you subscribe now to their Locked On YouTube channel so you can get notified when they go live on NBA Draft Night. It's time to continue our 90-player countdown. We've done our first 15 players to this point. Now we are to numbers 75 through 71, and I guess the good news for some of our listeners, we're going to start getting into some more familiar names, players that have either been on the roster or at least have been on the practice squad to this point. And we're going to start off with a pair of receivers, including one that Seahawks fans should be very familiar with at number 75, Aaron Fuller, formerly of the University of Washington, a very productive receiver for the Huskies, over 2,000 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns in his career, returned some kicks and punts as well. Rob, he has spent the last two seasons on Seattle's practice squad. He finally got to dress for the season finale in Arizona last January. And this really feels like this is his last real shot to try to get over the hump and make this football team. And it's going to boil down to how much he can contribute on special teams to be able to compete against players like Penny Hart, Cody Thompson, your two incoming rookies. We're going to be talking Kate Johnson. I mean, there's a lot of depth at this position. And you really have no margin for error if you want to get over the hump and be on this active roster. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. Um, now, Aaron Fuller is a good football player. And yet you just kind of mentioned some of his statistics at the University of Washington, and that was with some pretty mediocre quarterback play at times. Um, but at the same time, he is basically just, and I put those kind of in air quotes, just a, a slot receiver at, at 5'10 and a half, 188 pounds, ran in the low four fives um, at, at his uh, at his pro day, um, a 34-inch vertical, which is solid, but is far from explosive. Um, you know, he does have good quickness. He does have reliable hands, but again, he's just not an explosive, you know, uh, you know, dangerous type of, of an athlete that has, you know, leaves your jaw dropping. Um, he is a quality special teams player, but is not a standout in that regard as well. Um, the fact that you do have these two incoming rookies specifically in Bo Melton, who is going to be basically challenging for the exact same types of, uh, of playing time, likely in that slot 
position and on special teams. Uh, you know, I, I think that that is going to be pretty tough for for Aaron Fuller to be able to carve out a spot on, on Seattle's roster. I think the practice squad, you know, might also be a, a possibility for him. I think I could see him going somewhere else in the NFL. But I think that he is going to have to develop a very early rapport with both of Seattle's quarterbacks and to be as consistent as he has ever been in his entire collegiate and NFL career. That was one of the things that kind of was a knock on him at times was that he was a little bit up and down. He is going to have to be consistently impressive if he's going to make the Seahawks roster. Speaking of consistency, the next player on this list, same position. And Kay Johnson was a player that you and I were both hyping up going into last season as an undrafted rookie coming out of South Dakota State. Put up really big numbers in college, had a great week at the Senior Bowl, had a big game at the Senior Bowl. And we were thinking probably early day three selection, didn't even get drafted. Seattle was able to sign him as a priority undrafted free agent. And at least for me, I thought going into camp, that this kid with his route running savvy, his ability to create after the catch, I thought that he had a very good chance to make waves and maybe push for a roster spot. And yet he didn't dress for any games. He was on the practice squad all of last year. He was actually cut at one point and they re-signed him. They brought him back on a future reserve deal. So really, I thought it was a pretty disappointing rookie season in a sense. He's an undrafted guy. So making the roster is difficult, but this is a player that I had very high expectations for, and I still think that Kate Johnson can be a quality NFL reserve receiver. Maybe a little more consistency from him in training camp and preseason would be what the doctor ordered because this guy can play special teams. He's returned kicks and punts, similar athletically to Aaron Fuller, but I think he is a more polished receiver. So that makes this an interesting player to watch once we get to camp end of July, early August, obviously a ton of competition, but this kid has shown in the past when he's been up in the big stage of the senior bowl that he can play against top competition. I want to see if we can see more consistency from him on the practice field in the preseason. If he can show that, I think he actually has a little better chance to make a bit of noise in training camp than Fuller does. No, I agree with you. Um, you know, having watched, uh, the way that the Kate Johnson performed at the senior bowl, um, the same way that Penny Hart, frankly, performed at the senior bowl a couple of years prior to that. Um, it, it's just the, the ability to kind of see these guys against the elite competition, be able to be successful. And, and Kate Johnson has certainly demonstrated that you, you mentioned the, just the savviness, the quickness as a route runner. There was a couple of those little quick jerk routes that I just remember. So, so clearly him running at, at the senior bowl where he had those long sea hockey type of physical press corners on him and he was able to get release uh, from them and just make so many catches uh, in Mobile. And, and that really kind of laid that foundation in, in a lot of people's minds of what Kay Johnson is at the same time, like Aaron Fuller, and you mentioned they're similar athletes and they really are. Um, you know, you, you just don't see that home run ability. You, you don't see that, that ability to make somebody miss uh, and be able to take a, a quick little seven, eight yard, uh, you know, interior route and, and be able to, to, to generate more yards after the reception. And that's just the way that the NFL game is going anymore. So the, these 5'11", 185 pound receivers, there, there's just, there's, they're a dime a dozen, unfortunately. And so I think Kate Johnson is a good football player, like we just talked about before with Aaron Fuller. At the same time, I think that that Penny Hart is a more 
versatile one. I think that Bo Melton, the, the rookie that Seattle just selected, also to play that slot receiver position is a more explosive athlete than all of them. And so those are the two guys who I think are in the driver's seat, so to speak, of that slot receiver position, um, you know, of who Seattle currently has here. And again, I think it's going to be difficult for Kay Johnson or Aaron Fuller uh, to be able to make this roster, certainly not both of them. Moving from the outside to the offensive line, Dakota Shepley joined the Seahawks off waivers at the end of training camp last August. He dressed for a handful of games, did not get any snaps on offense, played a little bit on special teams. And this is a guy that had a stellar run in the CFL before coming back to the NFL, put some good clips on tape with the San Francisco 49ers this time a year ago. And so he was a player that you and I both thought maybe there was a chance he would get some opportunities to play last season, especially when Ethan Posey was banged up and Kyle Fuller was struggling. But he is still center number three on this roster. And he's still the most notable thing on his resume, Rob, is that he starred in Deadpool 2. He doesn't have anything else that he can really stick to in the NFL aside from preseason games. But you can see the athleticism. You can see the movement skills that the Seahawks are looking for in a zone blocking scheme. And so I think he is still a player that we should put maybe a, and maybe have a little bit of a dog ear on that we should just monitor closely just because who knows what Austin Blight's going to be doing as your starting center. We know that Kyle Fuller has struggled. Shepley might still be a player that's got some upside down the road that you want to continue developing. Yeah, I mean, he, he's just a, a, a big man who's got good strength and good athletic ability. Um, you mentioned the, the tour in the CFL. Um, you know, he was number five overall selection. Uh, just a couple of years ago by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He also, as, as you mentioned, uh, was with the San Francisco 49ers who love to just, you know, ground and pound in the running game. And at 6'5", 295 pounds. I mean, Shepley has that size at guard. I, we, we've been intrigued by the possibility of moving him inside the center, especially with all of the center issues that Seattle had a year ago. Um, the fact that Seattle did not put him into that position to really give him that opportunity. I, th I was a little disappointed with that. I am especially of all the players on this list. I am especially eager to see what Dakota Shepley is going to be able to do during training camp and during the preseason as well, because as we know, I mean, center is a position of concern for this club. This is a big man, as I mentioned, 6'5", 290 pounds. That's what you're looking for. And so if he can prove that he can handle the pivot and the mental responsibilities, as well as the physical responsibilities of that position after primarily playing guard, uh, you know, in San Francisco and in Saskatchewan, then, then I think that he has a chance of making this roster. At the same time, if he does not, if he proves that he's basically just a guard and is not getting meaningful snaps at center, then again, I think that we're talking about another player who basically is on the outside looking in, trying to get make a spot on, on Seattle's team. Looking at number 72, going back to defense, Tanner Muse, a former third-round pick for the Raiders, a player that you and I were both high on coming out of Clemson. He put on a show at the 2020 Combine right before the pandemic hit running in the low 4-4s at around 230 pounds. He played safety at Clemson, had quite a few interceptions, so he had some coverage skills, moved to linebacker in the NFL. He battled injuries with the Raiders. They cut him last year. The Seahawks brought him on board, dressed for six games, and had four tackles. And we've talked about this with a few of the other linebackers when we've been doing this series. As long as Ben Burkirvan and John Radigan are sidelined, the other backups they have competing – 
this benefits them. And I think that Tanner Muse is another one of them that when you look at the physical tools and the pedigree coming from a national championship team at Clemson being a key playmaker for that football team, I think Tanner Muse is one of those wild cards to really watch closely if you don't have John Radigan and or Ben Burkirvan because of his athletic ability, his special teams capabilities, and what he has shown in little glimpses in preseason games on defense. This is certainly a player that could be on the roster either with those injured players I mentioned or without them because he has the kind of upside if he takes a big step forward where especially in a 3-4 scheme with his ability to maybe play a little bit as a box safety if you need to. You can move him around some. He is an intriguing player that just hasn't lived up to his talent to this point. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question that there is talent there. It's some really unique talent. I mean, uh, yeah, as, as you said, 6'2", 230 pounds, and he ran in the four threes. I mean, that is just unbelievable kind of stuff there. Um, and he did it. And this isn't just a workout warrior. Um, you know, again, he, this was a superstar for Clemson. They won a national title uh, with, with Tanner Muse as a starter there. Um, the, the concern I have is, is basically where do you put him? Um, to me, he is a little bit more of a jack-of-all-trades master of none type other than that 40-yard dash that I mentioned before. Uh, I don't see the the real um, fluidity for uh, and change of direction for coverage at the NFL level, and I don't see the physicality um, to be able to take on shed blocks in the hole to be that kind of traditional 3-4 linebacker, not on the inside, certainly not on the outside as well. On special teams, however, I think he can be absolute star. You, you mentioned about the idea of him basically being kind of, uh, uh, you know, in, in the box uh, safety type as well. I think that he can do those things. Um, I, I like his ability to be able to help out in a variety of different ways. Um, but at the same time, again, I think that they're the, We've talked about this before at the linebacker position. It is going to be fascinating to see what Seattle chooses to do there. I, I don't think the Tanner Muse is the prototype for that. But again, his speed uh, and his ability to play on special teams, the ball skills, as you talked about a moment ago, all of those things make him a little bit more unique than some of the other linebackers. So it's somebody certainly to be keeping an eye on. Speaking of unique, we've talked Shamarius Gilmore, the last player on our list here before. Uh, and he's coming out of Georgia State, and he played over 4,000 snaps. He basically was at Georgia State for like three full presidencies. I mean, he was there for a long time, and he was extremely productive with those reps. More than 2,000 pass-blocking reps only gave up eight sacks. The top four rushing seasons in Georgia State history were all four seasons that Gilmore was a staple on the offensive line. So this is a guy around 305 pounds or so, that can do a little bit of everything. He comes into the NFL with a ton of experience. I know it's a Sun Belt, but he still played an extremely high level. And he's got great athleticism, particularly the change of direction skills, the mobility. He ran a 7.39 second three cone. Kobe Bryant, the corner who weighs more than 100 pounds less than him, ran a 7.31. So not much of a difference between those two. And that really says a lot about how athletic Gilmore is the guard position I've been curious about him maybe trying center he never played there at Georgia State but I'm wondering if Seattle might explore that to enhance his chances of making this football team because with Phil Haynes coming back Damian Lewis as well as Gabe Jackson Jake Curran can play inside there might not be a roster spot open currently at guard but I would be surprised if Gilmore at minimum is not in the practice squad because this guy in my opinion was one of the most underrated linemen 
in this last year's draft class to get him as a priority free agent. He's a good fit for the scheme. I like his chances of sticking around at least on the practice squad, if not making the team. No, I, again, I think you make some excellent points here. I, I am very curious about just the, the mental aptitude and if he is able to handle just um, all of the different tasks that, that centers have to, to handle. Um, you know, that to me is going to be a huge question here. He's got that kind of guard center kind of frame. Um, as you mentioned, 6'3", 305, roughly uh, 32 and a half inch arms. So you do want him inside, um, you know, as a five-year starter, uh, you know, his production, his consistency, this is a multiple team captain, um, all of those different things that you're looking for. Incredibly strong, 36 repetitions at 225 pounds. You talked about the change of direction um, that, that he possesses, his quickness. Those, those are all things that really fit in very nicely with, with Seattle expecting to do a lot more zone uh, blocking. That, that fits in. With, with what Gilmore is able to provide. So another one I'm, I'm really intrigued by, um, again, it's the positional versatility that I think that is really going to be the difference maker for either Gilmore, uh, you know, or, or for any of these interior linemen that we're talking about, because there are several players that are just guards on Seattle's roster that, you know, we, as much as we've talked about the possibility of moving a Damian Lewis inside the center, Seattle has shown no willingness to do so. The same with Phil Haynes, at least not for the most part. Um, you know, same thing, obviously, with the veteran Gabe Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. My point is, is that Seattle has to have somebody who can play a variety of different roles. They've always kept that type of a player. So it's going to be interesting to see if Gilmore can be that guy. Coming up next, we're going to jump into our first What If Wednesday of the 2022 offseason. In the past, we've looked at what if Warren Moon would have signed in 1984? What if the Seahawks would have drafted Brett Favre? We've looked at a number of different scenarios. We're going to jump back to 2015 and a certain rookie running back, if he could have stayed healthy, what would that have done for the Seahawks' chances of getting back to the Super Bowl? We're going to explore that when we return here in a moment. From the people who've invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk built bar. If you haven't, guess what? Your friends at Built have given coconut brownie chunk the puffs treatment. That's right, the coconut brownie chunk built bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness, but stop drooling and listen. They're all good for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time. Go to Built.com now to make sure you don't miss out. They're going fast because they taste amazing. The best part of the Built Puffs, of course, not only do they taste amazing, but you can enjoy them guilt-free because they're actually good for you. It's a perfect treat. Perfect when you're having a craving and you need to satisfy your sweet tooth or you need a quick, healthy snack. They are an excellent source of protein. Delicious coconut, rich, sweet brownie, creamy marshmallow. Stop fantasizing. Get to Built.com right now to order your box of coconut brownie chunk Built Puffs right now. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. 
The first picks of the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft have been made. Search now for Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and get over 50 insiders, the Odyssey sports experts, the draft experts of Locked On NBA, Big Board, and more. The five episodes of the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft are underway. Make Ultimate NBA Mock Draft your second listen today. As we do each and every offseason, we get to kind of this little bit of a lull between minicamp and training camp. And we always like to explore some things from the past. You and I both being history teachers by trade, we like to revisit the past. And one of the series that's been really popular on this show in the past is our What If series. When we've done What If Wednesdays and we look at scenarios from previous Seahawks seasons. We've done everything from Warren Moon signing in 1984 to drafting Brett Favre to franchise tagging Steve Hutchinson instead of transition tagging him. We're not going to go too far back in the past for today's first edition of our What If Wednesdays this year. 2015, Thomas Rawls bursts onto the scene. An undrafted rookie out of Central Michigan that few knew anything about, had a really strong training camp of preseason, wins a roster spot as a backup behind Marshawn Lynch. And then the durable Marshawn Lynch gets banged up, has hernia surgery, and has to miss an extended period of time. A lot of people thought the Seahawks were doomed, and yet Thomas Rawls quickly emerged as one of the best rookie running backs. You can make an argument, one of the best running backs in the NFC that year, averaging almost 5.7 yards per carry. Four of his seven starts rattled off over 100 rushing yards, including a historic 209-yard performance against the 49ers. And, Rob, we revisit that season. That might be the one that really jumps out to me over the last five or six years where I just sit back and wonder if they could have gone into the playoffs at full strength. Could they have hoisted another Lombardi trophy? Because when they had Thomas Rawls rolling, especially from week 11 to week 14, and Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin were on fire, this team was near unstoppable on offense. They looked like a Super Bowl team in the second half of the season. Yeah, there's no question. They certainly were rolling. Uh, you know, it, I just remember when um, the Seahawks signed Thomas Rawls, who undrafted free agent out of Central Michigan, um, had a spectacular workout, 5'9", 215 pounds and runs in the four fours. Um, you know, why he was not drafted is beyond me because the talent was uh, was obvious. Um, and, and he showed that. Um, during his time in, in Seattle's training camp. I remember getting some texts from some of the scouts uh, that were basically saying, we got ourselves a steal. We're, we're really excited. You know, this running back is special. And of course, he he proved to be exactly that. He was absolutely spectacular when he was healthy. Um, just a, an incredible combination of, of um balance through contact aggression and then the ability to bounce off of that contact and then be able to hit the accelerator button and burst ahead for yardage and chunks not necessarily the 50 60 70 yard breakaway type of runs but a lot of 10 15 yard type of runs and the demoralizing type to the defense when it looked like your top linebacker or safety had hit the running back square in his chest and yet he bounces off and very similar to the way that Marshall Sean Lynch ran. Um, and so because of that, I think that it just kind of, it gave Seattle obviously that one, two punch in turn, the, the passing game and the running game that keeps defenses off balance. But I also think that it gave them an intimidation factor. That's one of the things that I, frankly, I think that the Seahawks have been missing 
for a long time now. We've talked about this, that junkyard dog type of mentality that our guys on this roster are just tougher than your guys on your roster. Thomas Rawls was one heck of a tough football player. So you're right. When he suffered the ankle injury, I think that it really put Seattle behind. And unfortunately, while they wound up eking out a victory in the opening round of the playoffs that year uh, against Minnesota, a lot of people will remember that frigid game. Uh, they they met with the Carolina Panthers and, and wound up losing that contest. Yeah, I'm always going to wonder about this because when Thomas Rawls was healthy before that ankle injury, it just felt like opposing defenses, they were almost toying with him at that point because Russell Wilson was on fire. That, to me, is still the best he's ever played. Not the beginning of 2020. The numbers might not bear that out, but, I mean, he was just dropping dimes. And Doug Baldwin had one of the best four or five-game stretches you'll ever see a receiver have. That offense was humming. And then in the Pittsburgh game, Jimmy Graham gets hurt. That was a significant injury, but they came into Baltimore the next week and they were still rolling, even without Graham. They still had their run game cooking. And Rawls got off to a fast start. He had 44 rushing yards in the first eight carries, but that eighth carry was when he got injured. And this offense still played well the last couple of weeks. They did lose a game to the Rams two weeks later, but they won two of their final three games. The running game just was not there, though. When they got into playoffs, their two playoff games had less than 100 rushing yards total as a team. They were racking up 150, 200 rushing yards a game most of the time with Thomas Rawls back there. I can only wonder, especially against that Panthers defense that was led by Luke Keekley and some of the other stars they had, being one-dimensional just did Seattle no favors. If they had Thomas Rawls, who I have called a bouncing ball hybrid with a bowling ball covered in knives. That's what he ran the football like with his bounce back and forth, but his ability to bowl over people to run like he, he just like he had teeth sticking out of him when he smacked people. You know, he just had a different mentality running the ball, not having that player in the backfield and having to go with Christian Michael coming back to Seattle for a second time. And a few of the other running backs, they were rolling out there. Those guys just were not the threats. And I think that lack of, multi-dimensional offense ended up undoing the Seahawks. If they have Thomas Rawls, I still to this day am convinced that team makes it at least to the NFC Championship game, if not back to the Super Bowl. It was just a massive loss for an offense that was humming as well as any I've ever seen. Yeah, you make some excellent points. Um, you know, I mean, as you said, Seattle's inability to run the football in the postseason really caught up with them. Um, you know, in the in the 16 regular season games, in that season in 2015 um, there was only one time they got uh, they they rushed for less than 100 yards and that was that loss to the rams that you mentioned but they ran for less than 100 yards in each of the postseason games and again they they were able to squeak out that victory against the minnesota vikings winning 10 to 9 and a lot of people will remember that game same kind of thing the next week at carolina and carolina was number one seed winds up going uh and and being beaten by the denver broncos uh, in the Super Bowl. So it's not like Seattle had an easy uh, path if, if they had been able uh, you know, to, to win that game. But again, Carolina being the number one seed, Seattle um, had the higher seed after that. So they, they may have been in position to, to host after that. Um, you know, so you, you make some good points here. I just think that, again, 
once Thomas Rawls went down, once Seattle didn't have Marshawn Lynch either, they were going with Christian Michael, who, let's face it, not a lot of people were frightened of, of Christian Michael-led rushing attack. Russell Wilson wound up leading Seattle in rushing against uh, Carolina, if I remember correctly. I mean, it just it, Seattle's offense basically was completely one-dimensional. And when you're going up a team against a team that had a future Hall of Famer like Luke Keekley, uh, a, a former NFL MVP and Cam Newton at the quarterback, on the other side, uh, of course, Carolina wound up obviously just becoming a little bit too much. And when you think about the long-term prognosis after this too, Thomas Rawls did make it back from this injury, and there were moments that he looked like his rookie self. That playoff game the following year against the Detroit Lions where he nearly got to 200 rushing yards. He looked like pre-injury Thomas Rawls. Unfortunately, we just didn't get to see that very often within a couple years he was gone, and then a year later, he was out of the NFL completely. And sometimes that's just the way it goes in this league. It's not for long, for a reason. But he just never was able to recapture that same running style on a consistent basis when he came back from injury. They moved on from Marshawn Lynch. Then he got traded uh, to the Raiders with them for a couple years. And they really struggled to find that next bell cow until Chris Carson came to town. And so Really, the identity, the run game identity that they had been built on their Super Bowl years, it, it dissipated. But Thomas Rawls, for a brief while, gave that spark back to them. And I, again, I believe if they would have had Thomas Rawls, the jitterbug himself, the powerful jitterbug, if they would have had him in the backfield and Christian Michael is your backup going into the postseason, I think that we're having a much different discussion right now. And we might have a much different looking roster because if Seattle gets back to the Super Bowl and wins it, Everybody forgets a lot about what happened in Arizona the year prior. And who knows who's still playing for the Seahawks. I mean, there are so many different dominoes that were affected by that. But instead, they're bouncing the second round. And they haven't been able to get past the second round ever since. Missed the playoffs last year. So we can only wonder how different things would have been for the Seahawks and how different things would have been for Thomas Rawls. Maybe he's a perennial 1,000-yard rusher. Just never was quite the same when he came back from that injury as always thanks for making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week you can follow me on twitter at corbin smith nfl you can follow rob at rob rang make sure to check out locked on seahawks we're on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and streaming five days a week on youtube coming up tomorrow we're going to continue our 90 player countdown with numbers 70 through 66 and going to get back to our position by position review with safeties in the secondary. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.